Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Before we get started on the show, just a shout out to our friends at IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. If you like this show, you will also like Near-Death Radio uh, with the great Lee Whitting, and their website has tons of information about the afterlife, near-death experiences, help through grief, and so much more. If you happen to listen to this prior to August 14th through 16th, 2020, they are having their yearly conference, this time held online, and there are over 60 presenters, including myself, our guest today, uh, Anita Morjani, who wrote the book Dying to Be Me, and many other people on topics related to the afterlife. It's a low price. You'll get the videos on demand after, even if you can't join live. So if you want to find out about that, you can go to iands.org, which is I-A-N-D-S dot O-R-G. Find out more. Our guest today is Christine Clawley, who graduated and received her master's degree from Pacifica Graduate Institute in 2015. She completed her bachelor's degree in psychology and philosophy from the University of Colorado and is currently a depth therapist specializing in treating trauma and trauma-related disorders such as PTSD and complex PTSD. She has worked with a diverse population in a variety of settings, including homeless shelters, hospitals, prisons, and community mental health centers. Her counseling practice is informed by her own near-death experience and overcoming her own trauma, where she embarked on her own journey of healing and self-understanding and wishes to share this with others and assist others in their healing. Christine's website is lucidawakening.com, and she is currently co-directing a film examining synchronicity, dreams, and the path to healing. You can find out more about that on the website circlinghawkproductions.com, or if you're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash circlinghawkproductions. Christine, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to tell my story. Um, I'm usually listening to others and and helping them become empowered by telling their story um, and their experiences. So this is really fantastic um, being here today. And um, I guess I'll just start with um, actually some experiences that led up to my near-death experience. Um, so this was in uh, about 2008. I had just graduated from college. Um, and to be honest, I was feeling a little lost at that time, struggling with you know, some depression, not feeling fulfill- fulfilled in my career, and just wondering you know, what's next for me. But during this time, I was uh, plagued by repeated nightmares. Um, in one dream in particular, I, I felt myself being strangled in my sleep. Um, it appeared to me to, me to be um, a dark woman that 
was basically choking me and it was very frightening waking up from these dreams and I did not understand what was happening to me. In addition to these dreams, I had also had a dream that I had um, a cyst in my throat and I had this dream several times. I was trying to remove this cyst and I had been keeping record of my dreams at that time, but hadn't thought much more of it um, until February of 2008 when I was sick with what I thought was the flu. And um, it was the only few weeks in my life I was uh, without health insurance. I had just started a new job. And um, so I, you know, really was trying not to go to the hospital. But after seven days of having uh, flu, I finally went to the hospital. Um, they didn't find anything, sent me home. And that's basically when I reached out to my family, you know, to um, take me back to their home and help me recover. And um, during that time, that was really the most terrifying thing for me because a part of me knew that I was dying, um, but I could not really communicate that. Uh, I couldn't get that across to, you know, my loved ones or the medical providers um, at that time. However, there was a moment, um, so I had what is known as a necrotizing fasciitis or the flesh-eating bacteria. So the name is as awful as it sounds. Um, wow, wow. It's something that began in my throat. Um, it actually originated, they found out later, from a, a small cyst behind my vocal cords, and it spread down into my chest, into my um, lungs, and into my abdomen. And there was, a, when I was at my family's house, there was a few days I was kind of in and out of consciousness, not sure what to do. Finally, you know, um, asked for help again when my heart started beating rapidly. Um, my, my mother had called uh, on-call nurse. They rushed me to the ER and it turned out my, um, my lung had collapsed. Uh, I had gone into septic shock and um, basically, you know, when they um, inv began investigating the throat area, they found that um, there was necrotizing tissue and this was very, very serious. So uh, at that point, I was put into a medically induced coma from which I would not awake for another three and a half weeks. And I tell people, you know, yes, it was hard on me, but it was really very, very hard on my family. Okay. They were the ones really suffering because they did not know moment to moment whether I would live or die. Um, I think the doctors were being cautiously optimistic, giving me a 50-50 chance of survival. But then once I awoke, they had told my parents she really had about a 1 to 10 uh, percent chance of surviving due to the location of the infection and the severity. Um, so during this time, when I was in the medically induced coma, I was really suspended in this other world, this dream world, in which I felt that I was literally living out lifetimes. And I'm a very open-minded person, um, and I wonder you know, if some of it relates to um, past life uh, trauma or 
you know, with the power of consciousness, maybe I was um, also relating to some of the um, experiences of other people suffering on this planet currently. But um, I had dreams of, you know, being uh, dis uh, dismembered, this, you know, tortured, which did reflect what was happening to my body on one level. Um, there was one defining dream I remember where I was living on a boat. Um, I was Asian. I was um, I was very depressed because I was actually a human trafficking victim that was bringing other girls onto this boat and basically entrapping them. None of us were allowed to talk to each other, even look at each other. And it was a very hopeless situation. It felt as though I had lived there most of my life. And I was about, you know, age 40 or so in the dream. And so this went on day after day, feeling, you know, very trapped. And then I'll probably start crying when I tell this part of it. Um, there was a moment where I um, saw this woman approaching me and I locked eyes with her and saw my sister. And although we weren't able to talk, there was this incredible love that was transmitted between us that kind of like broke the spell of the hopelessness of the situation. Um, and we began not only planning our escape, but eventually, you know, freeing other women and, um, and that, that I really feel like was the turning point in my subconscious. Now, um, actually, after this experience, I had had, um, and this may sound odd to people not familiar with trauma, but especially with PTSD, I had a very invasive surgery and I did suffer from PTSD. Um, sometimes you uh, feel as though you're reliving an experience. And um, following this illness, there was a time where I relived this experience, but consciously, so not, um, you know, in the coma when I was blocking that out. And I was reliving some of the pain that I was going through and just, you know, um, being intubated is a very scary thing, you know, to wake up. And, and you know, I know the virus is going on right now. And I really, my heart goes out to people impacted by that. You know, it's a very um, vulnerable position to be in. But I remember, you know, just wanting to cry out, <laughs> wanting to express, you know, um, what I was feeling and not being able to. But there was really this moment where it was like I was absorbed into this other realm. All the pain went away and I remembered that there was no death. It was um, just an incredibly peaceful, loving place. And there was just, it was almost at that moment, I completely let go, let go of the, you know, resistance to the pain and I surrendered. And then it was like, I just felt this incredible sense of oneness and beauty. And then I remember having to return back to my body so although I didn't clinically die, I do feel that there was a defining moment where I chose to re-enter the world. I think a lot of that had to do with my sister as well. I'm very close with my sister. And later, my sister also told me that there were times where um, I would awake from the coma, you know, because the medication wasn't working and I would 
lock eyes with her crying and then go back to sleep. So um, just another message I want to emphasize is that um, individuals who are in a medically induced coma, they are aware on some level who's around them. They do feel the love from their family members. And I really um, attribute my incredible recovery, um, which I'll talk more about in a little bit, uh, to my family, my friends, the nurses and doctors. Um, it made a difference. And that's what really inspired me to go into the helping professions, because I know how much um, just a simple act of kindness, just love, uh, sharing presence with someone who's in pain or vulnerable. Um, it just, it means the world. So, um, you know, awakening from the coma uh, was very confusing to me. It was very confusing to come back into this reality because I thought, you know, some of these dreams were real. Um and I had many, many um, physical and emotional challenges to uh, recover from once I awoke from the coma, coma, excuse me, once the shock kind of wore off. I, um, I have a paralyzed vocal cord. I still do. Uh, I could not talk um, at all. My voice was just a tiny whisper. Um, I could not breathe on my own. My lungs were so weak. I, I had to be on a respirator for, you know, I can't remember how long afterwards, maybe a week or so, then I had to um, have a tracheotic trach collar on, which was hard. And it was kind of just one obstacle, you know, that I had to overcome over another. I ended up having a heart attack when I was trying to learn to breathe again. Wow. But, but none of this discouraged me. I also, you know, couldn't really walk. I, I was so weak. I had lost, I was down to 80 pounds. I mean, being in the hospital that long is not, you know, uh, good for someone. And so, but I had this incredible renewed will to live. And so even though, you know, there was still some fear um, of not getting better, fears that I might be a burden on my family and, and not recover, fears that I wouldn't ever get out of the hospital again. I really learned this incredible, simple recipe of just putting in, you know, the effort, trying as hard as you can to, you know, tackle the task at hand, but then letting go and letting go of expectations and having faith, having trust that things will work out. And, and sure enough, day by day, I began to recover. And, um, you know, now I, I'm sometimes, yeah, I sometimes forget, you know, how far I've come and how privileged I am to be in a position where I can help and listen to others. Um, but so overcoming that physical, um, the physical uh, obstacles, that was one part. But then once I had... Um, really, you know, relatively healed and recovered physically. Um, I was definitely dealing with some PTSD, uh, very sensitive, um, emotional. Also, something like this, uh, it, it leaves you with such a sense of, um, 
I don't know how to say, not necessarily chaos, but your life is completely altered Mm -hmm. permanently. Um, You are a new person. And I certainly felt that way. I was only um, 24 years old when I had gone through this experience. And so it was hard for me to relate to my peers in the same way or my family. And um, I began to notice that I was maybe more empathetic, more intuitive. Um, I would know things without really knowing how or why. Um, I would be, I began to have um, very, very lucid dreams. And I began to have, and I still do, um, have precognitive dreams. And this became, I became incredibly curious. Um, And this still is somewhat of a mystery, you know, to me, how how we are able to have precognitive dreams or, you know, shared uh, dream experiences. Could you or give, sci- a, could you give an example, mm-hmm. Christine? Don't mean to interrupt you, but what a precognitive dream is. Um, so let's see. I was going to share a more poignant one for the end. Oh, well, so you can wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so precognitive dreams. Well, one recently last week, um, I was going back to Colorado to visit family members. Um, and I think the night before I was heading back, I dreamt that I walked into um, the room where my dad you know, lives and he was saying he was very sick with flu, you know, was not feeling well. And I was trying to help him. And I kind of, you know, woke up, wrote it down, thought, you know, didn't think too much of it. And he was completely fine. I asked, you know, that day, how, how's, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, had dinner planned with my family, I think, you know, the next day. And I walk in the room and it's the same scenario. My dad's, you know, lying down saying, oh, I'm really sick with flu. And now he's doing better, rest assured. But that's just one simple example. Other examples are uh, meeting people I have never met before having um, interactions with them uh, that I can't explain this this happens you know sometimes with clients if there's um, particularly what I've noticed in documenting my dreams sometimes they are very mundane you know events but a lot of times um, they're events with more uh, negative emotional charge and I suspect that's because there's a subconscious part of the body, or the mind um, that can sense danger, that can sense uh, any potential, you know, negative event before it happens. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Well, that's okay. It gives me a little taste. Yeah. Um, well, and I might might go into another. Um, so this was an event that was really impactful for me. Um, so when I was uh, doing my undergrad or I'm sorry, my grad degree at Pacifica. Um, One of my best friends in the program, you know, we just really uh, bonded. Um, We spent a lot of time together outside of class and and she really became, you know, my support and my best friend. Um, And I hope I'm not choosing examples that make people feel too sad, but um, I kept having these dreams that I'd be seeing my friend and then all of a sudden she'd be aging like 20 years in front of my eyes. 
Um, and I had this dream several times and I said something to her. I said, you know, how's your health? How are you doing? And she mentioned some problems with her legs. She was a little bit, you know, older than me. Um, and she'd gone to the doctor. Everything was okay. Uh, but, um, eventually she was diagnosed with, uh, an aggressive form of cancer. And, um, that was very, sometimes, you know, I don't want to know these things ahead of time. I don't, you know, it can be kind of, um, kind of a burden to carry, but I do think, you know, uh, there is a reason, um, for these dreams. And so, I, it was very difficult and painful. I was in the middle of moving from uh, California back to Colorado. I really wanted to be there for my friend. I had flown back several times just to spend time with her in the hospital because I know how scary that is, you know, to be ill um, and not know if you're going to get better. And one night when I was back in Colorado, I just had the most beautiful dream with my friend. I went to go get her in the hospital room and we got in my car and we drove up the coast, you know, the coast in Santa Barbara, Highway 1. I took her to, her, you know, our favorite restaurant and then downtown or I'm sorry, not downtown, but also to her favorite beach. Nice. And this is where I had a heart to heart with her. And I said, you know, you're not stuck in that hospital and you don't have to go back. You know, you can be free and you can move on. And at that, you know, in this dream, I began telling her just how much I loved her, how much um, I appreciated her as a friend and mentor and, you know, how I would never forget uh, everything I learned from her. She was also an amazing writer and poet, and that was something, you know, we really connected over. And with that, she, you know, it was almost like I saw her lifting up and leaving. And it was just, while it was, you know, painful emotionally to let go, it was, it was very beautiful at the same time. And um, I woke up from that dream and I went, wow, that was so real, you know, um, that's the thing. Lucid dreams and precognitive dreams often have just a, sim a um, similar feel to them that is, is different from, uh, you know, just a dream that's trying to work out emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. um, precognitive or lucid dreams are incredibly vivid. They're very emotional. Um, and so with this particular dream, I woke up I called my friend who was with her in the hospital and I said, how is, how is my friend? Is she okay? And she said, she just taken her last breath a few moments ago wow. and passed in her sleep. So, um, in that moment, I really learned, uh, you know, love transcends space and time. Sure. I wanted to be there so badly with her to help her make that transition, um, into the afterlife. But, I was able to do that through my dreams. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's one story. And I guess that's not necessarily precognitive, but that could be considered a shared yes. dream experience. And it's always wonderful when you can uh, validate, you know, a dream. So I, I keep a regular practice of writing my dreams down and then also writing down when they come true. Um, and it's always a surprise to me. <laughs> it's always a shock. 
even though I've had these experiences, you know, for so long. Sure. Um, so that, you know, is, is a gift that I've been given, you know, this uh, power of dreaming. And Robert Moss, I just have to say, his books have been tremendous help. He um, coined the term conscious dream- dreaming, and he teaches a lot of workshops and classes, and um, that really resonated with me. And it also set me on my spiritual path. Um, now, it is interesting, and I don't, um, I just want to, you know, say this with the utmost respect to the indigenous and native culture. Um, I'm not native, I'm, I'm white, but I uh, feel a real connection to that culture and that society and also feel like there's a spiritual maturity to a certain society that has undergone so many difficult uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. And when I was being strangled in my dreams, you know, it had appeared to be a native woman that was strangling me. And of course, I you know, interpreted that as something maybe scary or negative. But it's interesting looking back on that experience, my dream journals, um, and my path, my spiritual path moving forward, I've been very much drawn to indigenous teachers. Um, I uh, have learned, you know, shamanic journeying, I've uh, been I've experienced tremendous benefit and healing from some of the ceremonies um, that indigenous uh, culture keeps, such as um, sweat lodge ceremonies, there's something very healing and powerful about the nonverbal um, healing ceremonies. Yoga therapy is another uh, um, path that has really helped me heal, um, especially given you know what what happened with the operations and my surgery. It helped me kind of reclaim um, ownership, I guess, of my body or just, uh, you know, it's hard to put into words. So that that's all been really, really helpful um, on my path. I realize I've rambled. Do you have any no, questions? No, I'm just, I'm listening intently. And I'm, <laughs> I, I looked at your website and the, you have done so much. And you continue to do so much. And I'm just, things like depth therapy I've never heard of before and Hmm. some of the things you're passionate about. And I just, I just want to know more about what you've learned. And um, yeah, you just keep, keep rambling. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. Um, Absolutely. So that was another thing. So um, with the changes that were happening to me, I do have to say, I felt like I was going crazy. (laughs) at the time uh it was very hard for me to understand how can i feel another person's pain physical or emotional how can i have these dreams or these intuitive knowings um and i it was very hard to reconcile and come to terms with what was happening to me i would say you know prior to the um, illness i was interested in you know spirituality but I was also very left brain, you know, I was a philosophy ma- major, um, you know, which is use logic to prove your argument, um, you know, and so it was hard for me to really kind of reconcile these two different sides. And I think prior to this illness, I was really um, trying to live, how do I say, the the pressure 
and then of the norms within society are just tremendous. And norms and culture is often invisible. But I recognize looking back prior to the illness, I had given up too much of my authentic self or my inner wisdom in order to be accepted by society in the way I thought I needed to. So um, I think this experience was a real wake-up call to me, and it made it painful to try to be anything other than what I am. And so I began just, you know, voraciously reading, um, again, reading a lot of uh, Native American spirituality and wisdom. Um, I also discovered Carl, Carl Jung, who was uh, just huge um, during my healing process and my education, learning that someone, you know, in the, the psychology field has had similar experience. And um, Carl Jung coined the term synchronicity, which is, um, let me see if I can find a good I didn't know that. definition. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that really, you know, he created a language for these experiences. Um, and we've kind of forgotten away, you know, forgotten that or gotten away from that um, wisdom that he shared. But um, you know, synchronicity is the state of fact of being in a synchronous or simultaneous. Um, oh, that doesn't really describe it. Sorry. Let's okay. see. Here we go. Coincidence of events that appear meaningfully related, but do not seem to be causally connected. So that that's important. And I have actually the perfect story for this. This is one of my favorite stories, and it's another life and death story. So um, I was visiting a friend in California at a bookstore and, you know, I hate to describe it this way. It sounds cliche, but it was almost as if this book was glowing and I just felt I had to buy this book. It was uh, called Mind Programming by Eldon Taylor. And it was about um, it talks about hypnosis, but also synchronicity and spirituality and just the path to healing. And I got that book, you know, got on the plane, reading, reading, you know, the book, just eating it up, enjoying it. And I got to this chapter and just this internal guidance just said, no, you know, close the book. Just think about what you just read and absorbed. And in the chapter I had just read, um, the author was sharing his experience of a life-saving synchronicity. His wife had just read on a box of cereal that having a sensation of burning lungs can mean that you're having a heart attack. And the author had been having this feeling that his lungs were burning. And so then, you know, he made it to the hospital and, you know, his life was basically saved. So, um, my dad was picking me up from the airport that day and, you know, he arrived at the airport. I could tell he wasn't looking well. Um, and I was a little concerned and he was, you know, men kind of brushing it off. I'm fine. You know, let's just get back to Colorado Springs. And he said, you know, my lungs are just burning. He's like, it's the Denver pollution up here. <laughs> my dad has some, you know, chemical sensitivities. So he was, you know, chalking it up to that. But as I looked at him, I could almost see his spirit leaving his body. 
And I just couldn't help but think of what I had just read, you know, almost 20, 30 minutes ago. I mean, I've never heard that information that burning lungs can mean you're having a heart attack. So against my dad's wishes, (laughs) drove him to the ER drove him to the nearest ER in Denver. Um, Meanwhile, he's, you know, telling me, no, I don't want to go. Everything's fine. And we get him in there. And even, you know, the um, nurse was kind of like, well, I think, you know, what's going on? He seems fine. But it turned out his, uh, one of his main arteries was 99% clogged and they had to operate on him right then and there. He may not have made it had we just continued on. So that's, a moment of having the right information at the right time come to you and it'd be completely meaningful. I mean, utterly meaningful. And I think how, you know, I've had to adjust my worldview because after so many incidents of things like this occurring, um, you have to revise your worldview. You know, there's something, you know, in time is not, it's not um, caused in a linear way. You know, there's, it's just unexplainable. So Jung coined this term to try to help explain or understand or just allow the language for us to talk about these experiences because I feel they're too important to just kind of brush away yes. and look at. Have you heard, uh, Christine, of the book The Wreck of the Titan? I don't think I have, no. Listen to this. The book, The Wreck of the Titan, was written 10 or 12 years before the Titanic sank. Oh, yes, I have heard this story. it is the story of the biggest ship, didn't have enough uh, lifeboats, hitting an iceberg, going this certain speed, pretty close to what happened. It was a fictional, fictional book that somebody wrote 10 or 12 years before the Titanic sank with almost identical description of what happened. Absolutely. That's a perfect example. Mm -hmm. That's tapping into this timelessness or whatever. I mean, it's hard for our minds to get around because we've only lived with past, present and future, but to think that there's something outside of us and, and maybe through, the coma and the near-death experience. I, I hear it a lot from people that have had near-death mm-hmm. experiences that this in- intuitive self kicks in and this knowing and so many different ways for as many different people. But it's almost like you're now somehow connected to this time or the I don't even know how to how to say to say what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I I know, you know what you, you know what you're I'm, trying to say. Mm-hmm. I'm getting at. Okay. Yeah, it's almost like, and see, every culture does have their own language in describing this. I mean, one way of saying it might be the veil between both worlds, or the barrier between individual ego consciousness and collective consciousness, um, which collective unconscious is a, another term that Carl Jung coined. So he really thought, you know, that um, individual humans and, and different species, they create a collective conscious. And I think, you know, artists are people who can really get in touch with this. They kind of, you know, 
are able to block out that left brain inner critic and just kind of channel whatever is coming through, um, pick up on things that might be happening in the future. Or, you know, in my case, I think um, I've had dreams where I've dreamed of experiences um, through other people's eyes. And that has been an incredible learning experience for me. Um, and so I think if you are sensitive enough, and I think there are, you know, especially end years, but um, anyone who's gone through trauma, I think it does um, kind of dissolve that boundary between um, self and other. Yeah. And actually, I'll read a quote right now. There's a wonderful author, um, Donald Cowshed. He's written a book called Trauma and the Soul. So there are, um, you know, professionals in this field trying to talk about these experiences. Um, so I found that my de near-death experience pa paralleled the inner experiences of trauma survivors and the larger far-reaching vision obtained from undergoing such traumatic experiences as described by Kalshad. So he said, ironically, trauma survivors are in a unique position to claim this larger vision because they are often forced prematurely into this non-ordinary reality, which is a spiritualized and often mentalized world, and it helps them survive the unbearable pain of their really affect relationships. Um, so this is one thing that I really try to bring into the work I do with my clients is changing the spin on how we define mental illness, changing the language we use. Because in ancient cultures, um, someone who maybe had a near-death experience or even experienced uh, some form of psychosis, hallucinations, depending on the quality, you know, were considered um, the healers of their tribe or individuals with knowledge. But now there's so much of, of a stigma, you know, and I think we have to kind of di differentiate um, and change our language and not just throw these you know, negative labels on individuals, really look at some of the benefits, um, increased sensitivity, um, more awareness of emotions, sometimes a connection uh, to nature or animals. Um, I really find that with my clients who've, you know, undergone childhood abuse or abusive, you know, relationships or other major traumas that there's this sensitivity that arises. And we do live in a culture that um, still, unfortunately, uh, stigmatizes those qualities. You know, we must show we're strong, successful, um, and happy, and any kind of negative motion is pathologized. And I think, I think that's doing people a disservice and not allowing people to heal by denying, um, you know, any victim of trauma to talk about their experiences or stories. So that's really, yeah, what I'd like to do also. So what keeps you busy? Tell me about what you're oh, yes. up to. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see. I am working at a community mental health center that keeps me very, very busy um, and I love the work, but it can be can be difficult at times. Um, 
but I, I think it's an honor to bear witness to my clients' lives, the problems they face, and it helps me understand the world in a broader context. Um, you know, poverty are, is a major issue right now. Um, domestic violence, um, you know, the isolation and loneliness. I uh, recently gave a lecture about the influence of technology on um, not only an individual's mental health, but also how we relate to each other mm-hmm. and um, how it's, you know, there are some negative effects. While, you know, I think there's great, you know, um, benefits to using technology. I'm so happy to do this interview now, you know, it can become an addiction and it can make us desensitize, uh, to others. And it, it is re is really rewiring the brain too. um, research is starting to show. Um, so I, I work at a community mental health center. Sorry, I digressed a little bit. I do have a private practice on the side where, um, I do counseling, psychology, life coaching. Um, and then I'm also working on this film and this is really a labor of love passion project. I've had some wonderful, um, interviews with, uh, Dr. Bernard Beitman, Eric Wargo, uh, Robert Moss, just to name a few, and I'm really excited at putting this thing together. We have, I think, most of the footage, but I just need the time to actually sit down and edit it. Um, but it's just been so wonderful collecting stories um, of people's experiences of synchronicity, dreams, um, psi experiences, which violate the normal conceptions of time. Um, I think this is a really exciting time to be alive. Um, I mean, science is already showing through, um, you know, quantum mechanics theory that the world may not look like we think it does. You know, there may be more uncertainty. There be there may be more um, connection um, between particles than we think. Um, and so, really, I think as a society, we're kind of lagging behind you know, integrating that knowledge and um, changing the way we, yeah, practice healing, changing the way we relate, changing these uh, social structures, economic structures. And while, you know, with the COVID-19 virus going on right now, there's a lot of fear, understandably so. There's a lot of uncertainty. You know, it sounds like people are losing faith, and a lot of the institutions or establishments that we've set up. But this is a wonderful time for people to come together, to help each other. I mean, I never cease to be amazed at just the power of listening to someone, even if they're upset, even if they have completely different views than you. Just the power of listening to them, hearing them out, making them feel valued, forming that connection I think it's the most powerful thing in the world. Um, and, you know, right now is the opportunity to form more of a community, to empower each other, and maybe create new systems that that serve us in a better way. <laughs> so, yeah. Could you talk a little bit for each of us? I, you know, I've never really been in touch with dreams <laughs> at all. Oh, so I know with the film you're talking about, 
examining synchronicity dreams and path to healing. Is there any practice that we can do as somebody just listening to you now to help maybe tap in better to whatever the word is that I don't know what, how to say it. (laughs) Absolutely. I I think, um, you know, it starts from a young age, right? That we are taught, Oh, that's just your imagination or, Oh, dreams aren't important. So I think a part of tuning in to that is just even acknowledging my inner world is important. My feelings, my imagination, my intuition, the sensations in my body. We're really a society that's so focused on the external. And again, part of existing, surviving, and functioning in this society is you repress those inner feelings or experiences and you try to, you know, conform or be obedient enough to, you know, make the grade or keep, keep your job. And it's often, you know, the, those who break the mold, I guess, who, who kind of get punished. So I think first recognizing, okay, there's more important things than, you know, just accumulating material things or achieving this future image of success, which may or may not never, ever come. That that's another thing. It's always, it's kind of a trap (laughs) that we've been put into um, in society, always living for this tomorrow. And it, it really, um, closes down, uh, your relationship to yourself when you're always focused on the external or the future. So I think meditation, mindfulness, um, is a huge part of that. I struggle, you know, to maintain that too in my busy life, Mm -hmm. but carving out time for that, um, even just the subtle prompt of, I will remember my dreams tonight will help you remember the dream. We are so, um, we are so susceptible and influenced by the messages all around us. So being conscious about what kind of information you're ingesting, it's just like food, being careful about, you know, what you eat, what company you're around, what you're reading, because that all has an influence on the mind and emotions. Um, So making a commitment to yourself, um, asking for guidance. One thing I, you know, do if I'm struggling with a decision or a problem I ask for a dream, for clarity, and I often do get an answer, surprisingly. And even if I don't like, you know, the answer (laughs) that I got, I often look back and go, oh, wow, you know, that was very accurate. Um, Asking the question, either, you know, um, getting in the habit while you're awake, asking, am I dreaming or am I awake? Am I dreaming or am I awake is another one. Um, having cues, uh, visual cues uh, to alert you to whether or not you're dreaming. So for me, I often look at my hands or I will flip the light switch on. And if I can't flip the light switch on, then I know that, you know, I'm in a lucid dream. Well, those are pretty clear then if you're because I I may have had a lucid dream accidentally once <laughs> that was extremely um clear and I there's no way I thought I was dreaming but I was um but is there is there a way that we can learn to have more lucid dreams I've never heard am I dreaming or am I awake I mean to I've never had those kind of dreams 
Okay. So um, in some of the Eastern traditions too, there's something called dream yoga. And that's, uh, you know, one of the paths uh, towards spirituality. And that gets you in the habit of even questioning, and this may sound scary to some of your listeners, but is this reality a dream? I mean, that that's some traditions would say even this reality is a dream or um, the Aborigines, you know, in Australia have their myth of the dream time. And um, that may be frightening to question, you know, whether this is a dream or not, but it can give you a sense of, how do I say, just empowerment in a strange way, if you're able to surrender to that feeling of, um, really being present, let, letting go and allowing whatever unfolds to unfold. So I think there's a way, and this is where I'm kind of getting with the synchronicity. I've had some incredibly beautiful moments in my life and it always seems like these really just beautiful, priceless moments happen when I'm in a state of letting go or not trying to control. And I'll give you another example. Okay. <laughs> um, I was at Pacifica where I went to grad school. And see, some of these stories are so fantastic. I don't know if I would believe them if I hadn't experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just laying on the grass. I had just been in this amazing lecture uh, that a professor had given about Carl Jung and this transcendent function, which is holding the tension of opposites. So oftentimes in life, we're always in a state of judgment. We're saying this is good, this is bad, yes. or you know, we're, we're stuck in this duality. And the whole idea is, it, can you be with both without either resist, resisting or desiring you know, for something? And I had just felt like I really got this experience. You know, it just really hit me for some reason that day. And we had a break. I went out to go lay on the grass and I just put my hand down. I was in this complete state of ecstasy and I, my hand was on a four leaf clover and I had thought, my gosh, how many times in my life as a little girl had I been, you know, looking for a four leaf clover or kind of wishing that. And here I just all of a sudden, not even looking, found a four leaf clover and it was just kind of a magic moment. Um, that really gave more meaning to that spiritual experience that just spontaneously happened. Hmm. Would you recommend we journal not only our dreams, but life? Yes, absolutely. And so that's the thing. The more consciousness you bring into your daily life, you know, getting in touch with your real thoughts, real feelings, um, the more that spills into your dream life the more you become conscious and vice versa, the more you become aware and conscious in your dream life that translates to reality or so-called reality. Um, So a lot of the work I do, I mean, if you're, if someone's having a repeated nightmare, there's a message that their subconscious is trying to get through. And it's very, very important. Now, you know, if that person doesn't, you know, keeps repressing, doesn't want to, acknowledge or look at the nightmare, then there's just going to be this fear pushing that person. But the amazing thing 
um, and this is the the beautiful sacred nature of counseling work, you turn towards whatever fear that is, nightmare, feeling, whatever it is you're terrified of, you begin to face it and it transforms and dissolves before your eyes. You realize you have power just by turning towards it and facing it. So um, I absolutely recommend, you know, journaling and even just stream of consciousness writing. That's something I've done my whole life. Oftentimes, um, and this is more cognitive behavioral uh, type stuff, but we all have kind of a negative thought loop, negative automatic thoughts or core beliefs Mm -hmm. that we aren't aware of most of the time. And when you engage in, you know, journaling or counseling, that can be brought up to the surface. And Jung's theory was when you bring the unconscious to the surface, when you integrate that with the conscious self, there's a state of wholeness that can be reached. Um, And, you know, the shadow, he would say, would be things like feeling society doesn't um, typically encourage or like. So jealousy, anger, rage, fear, maybe, you know, sexual desires, um, Anything, yeah, that's not socially acceptable, we tend to kind of stuff. Anything that doesn't conform to the image we want to have of ourselves. But that creates an internal split. And so the idea is, you know, you connect both aspects and then um, you're more aware, you're more empowered, and you're not at war with yourself, if that makes sense. It does. It does. It sounds like a more peaceful way of living. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love this I think this is great and it's something new and it's something maybe not new but new to me and maybe new to us but really really helpful oh that's wonderful just excited to see where you go and create and what happens and just to get this reminder of the bigger picture and I do at times think life is just a dream. I've talked to enough people who've had near-death experiences that say they're so vivid that really this life is just like a dream. And I always think of row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. So when you said go with the flow, it's just to remember that bigger picture. And even though we can't tap into it or maybe the moments are rare that we can tap into the bigger picture to just have that trust that it is very real and um you know certainly actions we need to take and things we need to do but it it is all part of a much bigger picture absolutely that well summed up and i i forget too i mean we we all forget you know, we're human, you get caught up in the drama or the little worries. But I mean, it, it's really, yeah, so important to try to stay in contact with this larger view um, of how we're all connected. And just, I really do believe as well that, you know, life here is like being in a school, we're trying to learn. And every experience you have, I think there is an incredible order to it. There is some reason why. Um, And I really look back through my life and see this incredible 
you know, miracle order of different things that happened to me that in the end were helpful. Maybe at the time I didn't appreciate suffering so much or, you know, going through this experience, but like with my um, NDE experience, I would never take it back, even though it was very painful, very scary at times. Um, it was just incredible. It changed who I am on such a deep level. And it helps me empathize with others, um, you know, to an inc- a much greater degree that I don't think I ever could have experienced before. Um, and yeah, I mean, even though we tend to think of pain and suffering as a bad thing, it can, it can wake you up. I mean, it can, there, if you, instead of resisting it so much, are able to surrender somewhat. And I'm not saying let yourself stay in an abusive situation right. or don't try to advocate for yourself, but um, there, I, I don't know really how to describe it, but there's almost like a, well, the alchemist would say there's a tra- inner transformation, transformation that's happening when you can um, learn from, you know, negative experiences or, or suffering. And I see it every day, you know, in the work I do. I mean, I do see people heal and improve and get better despite what's going on in their life, despite what's happening, you know, in the world. Um, I really believe it's possible. And it's so important, especially in these times, for people to have hope and to feel like they matter. Um, Because especially, well, the other thing, I wish I had more time. Um, The other major awakening for me was really looking at, you know, how much as a society we value money. um, We identify with our jobs, our titles. And, you know, if if you lose a job or you lose a title, people often have an existential crisis. Yes, it's true. Or feel that they don't have value. Um, And I, I understand what that feels like, too. Um, so just recognizing just as a human being, I mean, in, in that word, human being, you are a being with value, with dignity. You don't have to prove yourself. Um, we do live in a society that just constantly reinforces you must prove your worth. You must work to survive. And, you know, while we all want to contribute and, and you know, be a benefit to society, I think maybe we've gone just a little bit too far in that direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have people like you to remind us. Yes. <laughs> and I love doing these shows because we are humans and we get busy and we forget. And I don't know if we're meant to remember this 24-7, but to be able to have these extraordinary conversations that remind us who we are. So thank you, listener, who is listening right now and took the time to press the play button because um, it really takes something. It takes action. You know, it does. It takes action on our part. Mm. Absolutely. Well, Christine, are you excited about the IANS? online conference coming up. Absolutely. And I I signed up, got my ticket already. So I'm excited to watch other presenters as well. So um, it's just been so wonderful for me to connect with this community. I feel so grateful, you know, for the opportunity to both attend and, and speak. And um, 
it's really helped been a part of my healing path too, to recognize, okay, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> this is part of a, a pattern that happens to people who've had these type of experiences and, and we're creating a community. Um, and I really appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The website is IANDS.org, I-A-N-D-S.org. And there is so much on there from recommended books to their radio show to a ton of near-death experiences you can read about. There are chapters of IANDS all over the world. And I know currently this time in 2020, people aren't traveling, but they, you know, we'll, it'll open up again. And they aren't just for people who've had near-death experiences. It's for people that enjoy or want to learn more or be part of this conversation. So it's a really great community globally that makes a difference. So I, if, you, if you're around the 14th through the 16th, and um, even if you're not, you get the videos, you get the video replays, and there's just really some tremendous speakers and you can't leave there not believing in the bigger picture. And I tell you, Christine, you know, it's so easy to fall victim thinking that this life is it. But then like you say, you get down into some of the quantum um, particles and things, you know, down to our tiniest little atom. All we are is vibrating energy. This life really is an illusion if we go down to those levels. I remember seeing the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? <laughs> it's what it's mm -hmm. called. And it talks about those things and it's mind blowing, you know, being on this planet hurling around the universe with, you know, billions of other planets and things. So there is a much bigger picture to each, each one of us. Any final words, Christine, before we wrap up the episode? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Just really grateful to you, Sandra, for having me on and, for the listeners for sticking with us and, and listening. And I hope, I hope everyone gains something from this. And it's a reminder for me to even talk about this and, and remember it's, it's a gift to you know, remember that experience and how far I've come. Well, I'm very grateful, very, very grateful. And thank you for being our guest today. And for our listener, uh, you can check out more about Christine Clawley at lucidawakening.com or if you're on Facebook type in circling hawk productions or circlinghawkproductions.com or if you're listening to this on YouTube right now down in the description you can just press on the link and you'll be there in two shakes so also for our listener thank you for taking the time to listen we have, we're gaining on 350 episodes, hour-long episodes of the show here, going on just over six years, I think. All past episodes are available on wedontdieradio.com. Past 100, I believe, are on iTunes, and they're all on YouTube. There's lots of material out there. If you're new to the show, please go to wedontdieradio.com. There's a little pop-up that says, join our Insiders Club, and that's a fancy name of join the email list. And I'm very respectful with your email. I don't sell it or anything like that. But I give you a free audio called How to Survive Grief, which is really important. And also it says, read a few chapters of my book. The secret is it's my whole book. If you're somebody who likes audio books on the store at that website, if you find the audio book, just type in coupon code free, F-R-E-E. -E. We have a new calendar. 
and you can click on, we have now a Sunday service that we do, Christine, non-denominational, complete with medium readings at the end. It's non-traditional, but it celebrates life in the afterlife and empowers people to live life now. It's, it's really awesome. And then we're doing online demonstrations and courses on psychic and mediumship and all kinds of great things. Um, if you are a Facebook user, type in We Don't Die listeners, join a group of over 5,000 like-minded people that you can just be free to be you and share about this. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. Always so happy to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul, that your life here on earth is important. I'm really taking away from this episode to keep a notebook by my bed, pay attention to my dreams, write them down. But not only that is pay attention to my life and write it down and and just see what works through the subconscious because there is a bigger picture. There is a bigger reality and we are just a teeny tiny part of it. I heard once our life is but a thread in the fabric of our soul and we, my friend, are connected to all of it. So I really want to thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. (music) 